God. Well, listen, guys, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn back with me uh, to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of St. John. And we'll start again here at, the, at verse number one. We left off here, and I'll um, uh, pick back up. We've been talking about God's plan for marriage. And again, as we begin to delve into that, it's a lot deeper than just a husband-wife relationship. Hopefully you understand that by now. It's a, it goes beyond just the surface of a man and a woman coming together and making a covenant relationship. Through this divine God's plan for marriage, he is trying to so eloquently illustrate to us how he connects to his church. And it's critically important that we recognize that so that we don't be satisfied with mediocre marriages. Amen? Remember I told you last week what mediocre meant? And you don't want to be at the middle of the climb and stop right there and say just okay is okay. And the reality is that in this life that we live in, in this country that we live in, 50% of those who make a covenant relationship end up getting divorced. And I believe it's because we haven't truly understood what God is seeking to do through this important relationship that he was the one who created it. He was the one who defined the parameters for a marital covenant, and he's the one who blesses it. And whenever we leave him out, whenever we don't have a proper understanding of this all-important relationship, we end up messing ourselves up and other people too. Are y'all with me today? So let's look at this right quick. Uh, we, we, we're in the book of Ephesians, by the way, but I'm jumping ahead to where we are. Uh, we left off on last week. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and we will get back to there, but we are so eloquently talking about the husband-wife relationship and what it means. Paul, in that fifth chapter, says, but this is a mystery that I'm talking about, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The whole time while he was talking about husband-wife relationship, he said, don't get it twisted. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Everybody say Christ and the church. So we get into this uh, fourth chapter of the book of uh, the gospel according to St. John. And the text says this uh, in verse number one. We'll start in verse number one of St. John chapter number four. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Verse 4 says something. I, I do not want you to miss this because it has prophetic consequences. It says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Stop right there. I love the way the KJV reads in that it says, and he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs go. It was, it was, it was a compelling uh, situation where he had to go. Now, guys, I told you on last week, that was not the only way to get to Galilee. As a matter of fact, the average Jew, the Orthodox Jew, wouldn't dare go through Samaria, even though it was a direct route to Galilee. They, they went miles around to keep from going through Samaria. But the text says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Why did he have to go through Samaria? I'll tell you why, and we're going to talk about it as we get through here, because there was prophetic consequences to what Jesus is getting ready to illustrate to us now through this woman that he meets at the well. And I don't want you to miss it. 
I love the KJV. He says, he must needs go through Samaria. Here we're going to see Jesus now confronting some of the cultural nuances and cultural norms of that day that had to be dissipated in order for him to teach the proper message of the gospel and why he came to die. Can I get a witness? This actually, when you look at it, go back, go, go with me, flip over to Luke, the fourth chapter, we'll be right quick. Before I get into this Samaritan woman at the well again, because there's some lessons that we got to learn from this. Luke, the fourth chapter, and let's, go, let's look at verse number 16 with it right quick. Jesus was always, if you follow his ministry, he was always breaking down stuff that people thought was, 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 was the only way to do things. As a matter of fact, he, he, he broke down a, a, a lot of these cultural norm, norms and nuances that were causing division in the, in the world at that time. Look at what he says here in Luke, the fourth chapter, verse number 16. The text says this. Let's read together. Ready? Read. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, the text says what? Stop. He went as what? As usual to the what? To the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Here Jesus is. All right, watch what he said. Watch what he does here. Let's read. Verse number 17. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Now, now here Jesus quoting scripture. He's quoting Old Testament scripture, right? Okay? From the book of Isaiah. Let's read together. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be what? Released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor, what? Has what? Has come. From the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he rocked the boat, so to speak, of cultural expectations. Because whether we care to admit it or not, All of us in here have different ways of looking at life based on our cultural upbringing. Can I get a witness? Many of us have different ways of cooking based on what part of the country we were raised up in, right? How many of y'all know if you go to Chicago, and I love visiting the Windy City, if you can go to New York and these other places, they're great places to go, but I don't think they cook like we cook down here. Can I get five witnesses in the house? Listen, I've been to a lot of different places, and I try to find some of the best restaurants, but ain't no cooking like we got in Louisiana. Let me just just say that right off the bat. Shameless plug. People come travel here just to eat food. So we do stuff a little bit different based off the cultural nuances in which we grew up. One of the things that we do that that, that may sound crazy, how many of y'all, when you were growing up as a kid, ate dirt? All right, some of y'all are like, oh, what are you talking about? How many of y'all ever ever eaten clay dirt? Let me see some hands. Some of are like, what in the world are you talking about, Pastor? Just go look it up. Clay dirt, that's a cultural norm. I I was surmised to say they probably don't do that in California. If you can find, find some clay dirt in California. But we do things differently. All of us are shaped to some degree by our cultural influences. Can I get a witness? And so here we see Jesus, 
the Messiah, beginning his public ministry by, by getting ready to interject something into how religiosity or how the, the Jewish norm normally operated. And he's going to say something that's going to upset them because he's here to upset the apple cart. Everybody says Jesus comes to upset some stuff. So let's keep reading. He says this. He rolled up the scroll, verse number 20, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him, what? Intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled, what? This very day. Next verse says what? Let's read. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his gracious words that came, what? From his lips. How can this be? They asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Now they, oh, here we go. Now they're going to go back and say, listen, we know this boy. We saw him grow up. His, his dad is a carpenter. How, pray tell me, can he speak as one with such authority? They were amazed. They were amazed in a good way here, but now watch if we keep reading. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. Here Jesus is giving a prophetic voice, a prophetic uh, prophecy about what's going to happen when he gets hung on the cross of Calvary. Text says, but I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. A lot of times, it's the folks who know you the best disrespect you the most. Can I get a witness? And Jesus was no different. Certainly, there were many needy widows. Now, watch this. Again, they were amazed at his speaking. They were, they were fascinated that Joseph's son, the carpenter's son, is now speaking with such anointing and authority. But watch what happened. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the heavens were closed for three and a half years and severe famine devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. All right, now watch this. Folk getting ready to get mad now because Jesus comes to upset the apple cart. The text says, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. Y'all know the story? Right. He dipped seven times in the Jordan River and came up clean. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. All right. Now watch this now. Jesus, in his very strategic and prophetic way, begins to 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 start to prick at the problem of his Jewish brethren. Because his Jewish brethren had a 700 year feud going with the Sumerians. As a result, I told you last week of the captivity of the 10 northern tribes by Assyria. And they had, and Samaritans were mixed breeds. They were, they were Jew and Gentile who had married one another and had produced offspring. They had mixed race individuals. Can I get a witness? So watch this. Watch it. He says, when they heard this, what did they hear? When he talked about the fact that, that, that Elijah was sent not to any of the Jewish widows, but he was sent to a foreigner, a Gentile. And not that, he said, and many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only the one healed was a Gentile, a Syrian. So watch the text. When they heard this, 
The people in the synagogue were what? Furious. Now, these are the same folks who were amazed at Joseph's son speaking with such anointing, but they had so much hate and prejudice within them when he, said, when he quoted the scripture, which is in the Bible, told them about from their Old Testament scriptures about what happened. He pointed out that miracles happened to Gentiles. And they were so indignant. The text says when they heard this, the people were furious, jumping up. They mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to do what? Push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, they they spoke well of Jesus until he did that. Because now Jesus is beginning to, to, to even pull out more so of what the gospel, the power of the gospel is all about, about what Abraham, Abraham was told by God the Father, I'm going to make you the father of many nationalities. I've told you before, the gospel is intertwined with the message of Jew and Gentile coming together in the one body. In case you misunderstand what I'm saying, and, and people use Gentile and it floss over, Gentile is any other ethnicity besides a Jew. If you, are, if you are whatever you want to call yourself, if you're Hispanic, if, you, if you're African-American, if you want to call yourself black, whatever you want to call yourself, uh, 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 if you're Asian, you are a Gentile. Everybody say Gentile. So God's message in the gospel is that my word and my relational plan for mankind includes everybody. Can I get a witness today? But they got mad. When Jesus mentioned these Gentiles, why? Because of their their hatred for for Samaritans, for for Gentiles in general. Now, God, now you said, Pastor, why do you bring this up? Because I want to, as Jesus confronts this Samaritan woman at the well, I need all of us to be aware that he's trying to do something at a spiritual level to get us to understand that the gospel is for everybody. And any time that we who say we follow Jesus don't follow him the way he, fo- he says to do in his word, we are off base and we better check if we really know Jesus. Because if you say you know Jesus, but you can hate somebody because they're not your same ethnicity, I got a problem in the Bible that's a problem with that. As a matter of fact, you probably ain't even saved. Let me say it again. You probably not even saved. How how can you love God whom you have not seen, the Bible says, and hate your fellow man who you see every day? Everybody say God's plan for marriage. When those in attendance began to dismiss Jesus as Joseph's son, he reminded them about Jewish prophets Elijah and Elisha. And he quoted them and then they got mad. They did this because of the extreme presence. Let me say this right quick, and y'all listen to me carefully. We, as born-again believers, have been given an assignment to take the gospel to a dying world. And the reality is that some of us think that our assignment is only to take it to a certain people. But the Bible never ordains that because Jesus, and even Paul, who had a ministry to the Gentiles, also spoke to Jews. Can I get a witness? And so this feud uh, between the Samaritans and the Jews was a 700-year-old feud. Now, when, when, you, when you look at this thing, 
Go with me. Let's, let's get back to, let's get back over to, uh, to the gospel according to John, chapter number four. Y'all, are y'all with me now? So, so now you understand that, that this thing was deep, 700 years of hatred, and yet Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. 700 years of, 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 of all kinds of debauchery going on between Jews and Gentiles, between Jews and half-breed half Jews mixed with Samaritans. Here, here we see 700 years of hatred. Now Jesus interjects himself into that hatred, hateful history. Now watch this, watch this. Are y'all in John with me right quick? Let's get back here. Let me, let me, let me, let me find my place back here. The text says this in verse number four of John, St. John, the fourth chapter. He had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to. Let me tell you something. When it comes to the word of God, we have to be intentional about reaching people with the gospel. It doesn't happen by osmosis. We got to be intentional. I think it's the same way. When a man marries a woman, he has to be intentional. I had to be intentional when I, when I, when I felt my heart jump when I saw this sister here on the campus of the Louisiana Tech University. Intentionality came about by phone calls being made between us. Ray, you had to be intentional when you saw your beautiful wife, Martha. You couldn't just pass by her and keep doing what you're doing and expect their relationship to develop. I don't think so. Somebody had to call somebody. Right? And you know what? We like to tell our own story, right? Yeah, but she called me first. That's the truth. Everybody said she was intentional. And then she ghosted me. Playing games with a brother, amen? But, but we have to be intentional. Jesus was intentional because he had a prophetic mindset as he goes through Samaria. But, but again, guys, this, this thing is something that, that the church has to deal with in, in a very real and biblical way. I said biblical. Everybody say biblical. See, the, the, there was 700 years of hatred, 700 years of us versus them, that Jesus is trying to break down as he sends a message in his interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you not know that in Nigeria, the, the, it's, it's an ethnic group called the Igbo, and in the Hausa, they were tribes that, that, have, that they have ethnic tension uh, between them uh, in, in a strong way. Do y'all remember when they had the Rwandan genocide uh, back, in, back in, I think it may have been in the, in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s? when people were just slaughtering one another. They were neighbors, and then neighbors were not killing one another. They were the same skin color, but they were different ethnic groups. Let me say something right quick, and I, I want y'all to correct your methodology your mindset. See, race is a sociological term. There's only one race. It's the human race. Can I get one witness up here? We all come from Adam and Eve. Let me come to the side of here. All of us come from the same seed. There is only one race. That's the human race. See, when we, when, it amazes me when we have to fill out applications and all this kind of stuff. You have to put race on there. But I'm gonna, next time, I'm going I'm to I'm mark human. 
They may think I'm crazy. I'm a marking race and I'm gonna put ethnicity African American. Is that fair enough? All right, I'm gonna mess the form up. I'm gonna blow somebody's mind. But there's only one race, the human race. We all come from the seed of Adam. We all bleed the same blood as red. When you go to the hospital and when she had to have blood transfusion, I didn't ask who gave the, the blood. What was their ethnicity? I just wanted her to have the blood because there's life in the blood. And the, 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 the silliness, the, the, the audacity of us who say we belong, belong to Jesus, if you don't belong to Jesus, I, I expect you to be messed up. But now that you're in a teaching church, your ethnicity does not trump your Christianity. If it does, you have an idol God. I'm going to say it again. If, you, if you're more proud of your ethnicity than you are of your kingdom citizenship, you got things out of order. So you had it in, 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 in Rwanda, they had ethnic battles. Uh, our own brother Elijah Tate, who's back there from Liberia, his country went through a civil war uh, because people who were once neighbors were not killing one another because of ethnic tensions that have been built up over the years. And what I want to tell you is, is that God came to deliver us from that foolishness. God came to deliver us from, from race, from, 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 from ethnic prejudices. God called for his church to be a symbol of what it means to love God and to love people. So you had, I mean, this stuff is, this stuff has gone on through the years. You know, how many of y'all remember back when uh, in, in, in Yugoslavia, they had the Croatians and the Serbians and the Slovenians slaughtering one another because of ethnic tensions. So if you can imagine, as Jesus approaches this woman at the well, let's get back to the text in John, the fourth chapter. Watch this. I got, I got to move because I got a lot of ground to cover. Now, I told you on last week as we get it, look, look, look with me uh, <laughs> in verse number five, verse five, St. John, the fourth chapter, verse number five. The text says this, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, now remember, the text says, told us he must needs go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Samaria. There were many other rakes. But the direct route to Galilee was through Samaria. And I'm sure his disciples probably had some debate about this. Jesus, you sure about this? Man, they've been known to kill some Jews up in here. You want to go through Samaria? They've they beaten Jews and, and told them don't come that way again. How many of y'all had, uh, 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 maybe in, in the neighborhood that you grew up in, that, that certain streets, you know, we, we, were, we were the dump ground road boys, wasn't it, Gary? Now, we weren't a gang. But we, we were just, we, 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 had, we, we had friendly competition between us and the boys in the subdivision. Anybody grew up in Burt's subdivision? And sometimes stuff would jump off between the boys up here and Burt's subdivision on the boys on Caddo. So we all had little territories in and of itself that we grew up in, and there was some, some, some healthy tension in a way 
but nothing like what we see here. This was pure hatred that was permeating in the society today because of a number of reasons. Are y'all listening to me today? And so, so, so we see this, Jesus interjects himself into this. And the Bible says this soon old Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. The text says this, he, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The text says the woman was surprised for Jews, what? Refused to have what? Anything to do with Samaritans. Now, I ask you a question. What ethnic group do you refuse to have anything to do with? Thank you, Holy Ghost. God wants to break down your junk because he can't use you effectively when you have some ethnic prejudices permeating in you. Yes, I'm talking about you. You who say, I love Jesus. And I love all God's creation except them. We've got a problem. Church has to be the one who shines the light on this mess and get this world pointed in the right direction. And if the church don't get it right, society will never get it right. Are y'all still tracking with me today? All right, so let's, let's keep moving. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Let's keep moving. The text says this. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Can we keep reading? Text says, and besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Verse number 13, let's read together. It says what? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring with them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, Give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. Would I tell you about the street term thirsty mint? Do y'all remember that? Go home and look it up. As a matter of fact, if you got the phone right now, just look up. Slang, thirsty, what does that mean? Don't do it right now. Okay, don't do it right now. Just, just wait. All right. Says, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Verse 16, let's read together. It says what? Go and get your husband. Now watch this. I need you to understand something. Every time Jesus makes a statement and when Jesus asks a question, he already knows the answer to the question he asks you. And the statement that he makes here, he already knew the answer to it before he made the statement. Don't get yourself twisted. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows what's going on on the inside of your heart. Even though people may not know, God sees your heart. Go and get your husband, Jesus told him. Watch this. Everybody said he's setting up. Any of y'all ever been set up before? Any of your husband ever had a set up question before? I need some husbands. Pastor, I had, I had a set up question. One of the ways my wife sets me up is she says, again, just, just simple thing. She asked me something the other day. Uh, do you want to 
do this or do you want to go do that? Now, this was what I was doing watching the game, and that is what she asked me did I want to do. Now, it came off, Kenny, as if there was a choice involved. Come on, Brother Danny Thomas, you know what I'm talking about. But it's really not a choice. What she's trying to see if I love this more than I love her. I need to see the hand of every husband here who's had one of those set up questions before. Let me see your hands. Raise it, raise it, raise it, raise it. You better learn. I, I used to be ignorant. I was ignorant for a period of time until I learned. She's just testing me to see how do I love that game or do I love what I'm doing or do I love just sitting there more than I do being with her? Or will I, no, or will I sacrifice to move and do something that my preference is something else? She's trying to see, will I prefer her above myself? Now, she she hadn't told me this, but I I, I know. I've been doing some study. (laughs) I've been studying her, sister daughter. I've been studying. The Bible says, uh, dwell with her according to to knowledge. So if it says dwell with her according to knowledge, that means there is some information, there are some traits, there are some habits that I as a husband, as a man need to study because if I don't study, I'm going to walk in ignorance. And I'm going to do some some dumb stuff. I'm going to do some stuff that make her feel like she's not important. She is important, but I can do stuff to make her feel like she's not important. Are y'all with me today? Do you want to go to the store right now or do you want to wait to... Okay. All right. She just said, do you want to go to the store right now? Which is what she really wanted. Or do you want to wait till Monday to go? Hello. So I had that question posed to me about going to Sam's Club. How many of y'all have to make a Sam's Club run? We made a Sam's Club run yesterday. Even though she, 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 she kind of fluffed it off as, well, we can do it sometime later. But, but, I, but in my Noah, in my Noah, in the deepest part of my innermost being, I kind of felt like she wanted to go yesterday. So I said, I'm going to prefer her over my preference. Because my preference was to go home. <laughs> you know, somebody said this one time, and I, I think it's true. You know, when, when you ask somebody over 50 what you did this weekend, they say nothing. They start smiling. <laughs> it, 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 it hits differently. Because to not have a whole bunch of stuff to do can be a graceful time for a person. Right? Can I get a witness? When you're younger, you say nothing. It's like, blah, what's wrong with you? No, no. When I'm 60 and I ain't do nothing on a Saturday, man, I'm good. <laughs> Are y'all with me? Can we keep moving? All right, so I, I got to get back. So watch this. Let's, let's keep Go and get your husband. Jesus told him, watch this. Let's move. I don't have a husband. The woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. Watch this. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Let's keep moving. Come on. Let's watch this. Sir, the woman said, you, you, you must be a prophet. Is that what it says? Verse 20. Can we read it out loud? Verse 20 says what? Sir. Is that, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So tell me, why is it that you... Am I, am I in the right spot? 
19, let's go to 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Let's read. He says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Now, there's a whole lot of history there. I, I don't have time to unpack it all. But, but the point that Jesus is going to make is, is that what I'm getting ready to do, it ain't contained in a place. If COVID didn't teach us anything, it should have taught us that the church is not the doggone building. The church didn't die with COVID. The church still exists. Some local congregations died, but the church does not die. Watch this. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. He says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. Watch this, because Jesus was a Jew. And it's through his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary that all of us have a right to the tree of life. But the time is coming, indeed, it's near now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him, what? That way. Verse, next verse, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him, what? In spirit and in truth. 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, it's interesting here where Jesus now, uh, for the first time, tells somebody, I'm the one. But it's interesting to me, he didn't tell a Jew. He told a Samaritan. And this Samaritan woman, I perceive, is a personification or a typology of the church. Because this woman had Jew and Gentile blood running through her veins. And the church has Jew and Gentile together in one body. The church has uh, black and white, Hispanic and Asian running together in one body. Come on, y'all. Watch this. Watch this. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were, watch this. They were what? They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Because rabbis, Jewish rabbis, wouldn't talk to women in public. And especially a Samaritan woman who was hated by the Jewish populace as a whole. He says (laughs) they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you... Listen to these guys. They were in their mind, they were saying, why is he even talking to her? And some of y'all do the very same thing. When you see somebody married to somebody that, that, of different ethnicity, you're like, why are they together? I'm going to break up some hard ground today. Because if you're going to follow Jesus, that stuff got to come out your heart. And you can't tell me to God and you got these problems with people. Something, got, something is, is messing up on the inside of you. I understand history. And, and, and the very reason why these Jews and Samaritans and these other Gentiles didn't get along was because of some of the historical context of their relationships. As a matter of fact, God used Gentiles to punish the Jews who were being disobedient to him. There are many times God sent them into Babylonian captivity because of their disobedience. He used a Gentile nation to get his people's heart right. 
So all that history is coming to play. And let me tell you something. All of us got history, but you better learn how to let God heal the wounds of the past because you'll never go forward still hanging on to the wounds of the past. Okay. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to the woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone. Now watch this, guys. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Watch this. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. The text says this. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Let's go. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? See, listen. A carnal-minded Christian cannot understand spiritual things. That's why when you don't, if you're not in your word, you're not praying, I'm talking about stuff that, that just boggling your mind. Some of y'all, some, some, some of y'all kind of fool with me right now because of what I'm saying because you, you, you don't, you, you're carnal-minded. You think about the things of God from a purely earthly standpoint, and I'm talking about things from a spiritual dynamic. I'm talking about kingdom citizenship, not American citizenship. I'm talking about kingdom citizenship, not from the hood where you came from or the neighborhood you grew up in. I'm talking about what God desires for us. And if you're going to get right with God, you better get right with people. All right. Can I keep going? Did someone bring him food while we were gone? Disciples asked each other. Text says, then Jesus' encouragement comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Oh. Can we read that again? He says, what? My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Let's go. He says, what? Next verse. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Is that what he says? Next verse says what? Let's read. The harvest are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is what? People brought to eternal life. What jar weighs both the planter and the harvester alike? Now, skip down to verse number 39 with my I got to move because I got to watch this. It says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because what? The woman has said, He told me everything I did. In other words, this Samaritan woman now goes and witnesses to her hometown folks. And some got saved because of her testimony. God uses, Jesus uses a mixed race individual to go and talk to her own people and they receive him as Lord and Savior. Keep reading. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, the, the many more. There were some who initially believed because of a testimony, and there were some who believed because of what Jesus said himself. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, <laughs> but because we have heard him ourselves, which tells me there were some folks who were still holding this woman's past against her. There were some who wouldn't believe because you had five husbands and you're living with a man right now. And we can't hear from you because we know your past. Some people won't listen to you because they know your past. But these ones right here, they saw Jesus and they communed with him face to face. There were some who got saved 
who looked beyond this woman's past. And I thank God that he looks beyond our faults and sees our needs. I thank God that he doesn't ask against us. Here's what I want you to do right now while I'm preaching. I want you to think about something that you did. I don't care how long ago it was, but it was messed up. You were saved, but it was messed up. Just think about it right now. You did something that you knew was wrong. Just think about it right now. Nobody else may not even know about it. And somebody else probably does know about it. Because usually it's you and somebody else who did something wrong. And there's more sins than adultery. There's more sins than fornication. There's all kinds of sin. There's hatred. There's, there's, there's just, I mean, just go through the, there's bad attitude. Think about one of the biggest mess-ups you've had since you've been born again. I'm not talking before you got saved, since you've been born again. And don't tell me you hadn't messed up since you've been born again. Because we're honest, all of us have had some, some, some missteps along the way. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So think about that big mess up and think about how it is right now God still desires to commune with you. He says, I know you messed up, but the blood of my son washes away your sins. And I still desire communion with you. Are you, are you thinking about it right now? Prophet, you, 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 you've gotten beyond it to the point to where now you don't let the devil keep talking in your head saying, well, you can't do this because of what you did. This woman who's been married five times and now she's shacking, cohabitating, living with, kicking it with, whatever you want to call it, with this man, and it could have been any variety of reasons why she's been married five times, because many times uh, men misused, well, maybe she was abused and, and misused five times and decided marriage is no more for me. Some of y'all had bad marriage, you like, uh, mm, 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 mm. Nope, 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 nope. Pastor, you can preach about uh, 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 re- restoration, you can preach about this, but I, I yeah. It'll be a cold day in Hades before, before that happens with me. Listen, if that's you, that's you, okay? But don't disparage the, the, the ministry or the institution of marriage because God created it. And he has a plan for it. And if you do it right, it is a blessing. I said if you do it right, you'll be at the summit of the mountain celebrating it's your season of life because you understood that God wants to use your relationship to show the world how Christ connects to the church. Now look at your outline. Wow. I said a whole lot. I told you on last, Jay, pop this up right quick. Three important truths that reveal with Jesus' conversation with this woman. We said, number one, the compassion of Jesus is revealed to those who are struggling or have failed in marriage. First thing was the compassion of Jesus is revealed to those who are struggling or who have failed in marriage. The second thing we said was marriage was created by God and is only successful when it honors his plan and includes his presence. The third thing I told you was the most important issue in marriage is a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Why? Because only Jesus can meet our deepest needs. What are our deepest needs? I told you on last week, number one, we have a need for acceptance. We need to know that I'm loved that, that I'm, and I'm accepted for who I, who, who I really am. Not for what you want me to be, for who I really am. Acceptance, we have a need for identity, which means that I, I'm... I'm special, I'm unique, I'm significant. God personally and individually created me in my mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
I am, uh, so I have need for identity. I have need for security. I need to know that I'm safe and I'm secure from harm. My needs will be met in a faithful manner. I need to know that. And number four, I have purpose. Okay? I have a significant purpose in life. God saved me, delivered me, set me free, and he has a purpose for my life. Now, what happens is when we, we look for others to meet these deepest needs, then we get off course. The principle, let's talk about the principle of transference in my time left here. The principle of transference, it should be in your, in your outline. If we don't trust Jesus to meet our deepest needs, we will automatically transfer the, transfer the expectation of those needs to those closest around us, like our spouse or our parents or our children or our friends, or etc. And we end up setting those relationships up for failure because we're trying to get a person to meet a need that only Jesus can meet. That's why some parents can't let go of their children. The child 35, you still running their life. Oh, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. You still off in the middle of their business. And, I, and I've said this before. Uh, if your children invite you into their business, then come and give wise counsel. But sometimes we we knocking. We we in the middle of it. That's why we have all these in-law jokes. We call them outlaws, right? Because some man didn't leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. He left the house, but he still cleaved to his father and mother. You got to leave and cleave. Everybody say leave, leave. and cleave. But, but, but we should never expect someone else to meet those deepest needs, acceptance, identity, security, and purpose other than Jesus. So what, what are some of the problems with the transference of our deepest needs? Number one, we will never, we will, we will never be fulfilled. Never. Go back to John 4, 4th chapter, look at verse 13 and 14. John 4th chapter, verse 13 and 14. We will never be fulfilled. Look at what look at the text says. Jesus, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them what? Eternal life. Jesus told a Samaritan woman, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring. Now, now again, if even if you're successful from a world's point of view, you're missing out on what Jesus could give you. You may be successful economically. You may be successful in your career. You may have the house you want, the car you want to drive, the career, the, the salary you want to make. But that's going to be something missing in you if you don't have Jesus at the core and the heart of what you're trying to accomplish. You'll never be fulfilled. Second problem is we'll become discouraged and cynical. Everybody say discouraged and cynical. Satan's ultimate goal is to destroy marriage and to keep us separated and unfulfilled. I'm telling you, that's what he's trying to do. And the problem has been is that I tell you before, shameless plug. Listen, June 30th is the closing date. You need to sign up for the marriage retreat to get poured into, to get loved on, to get pampered, to, to refresh your commitment, your covenant commitment. 
Because many of y'all sitting out there right now have never had continuous time of studying how to be a, a, the right kind of husband and the right kind of wife. The God kind. You just do. And what you feel doesn't necessarily line up with God's plan. Because God is trying to use your relationship to show the world a tangible, visible picture of how Christ connects to the church. So let's learn about it. People say, well, yo, we're doing good now. I, what have I told y'all? If the devil takes 25 years to get you, he'll set you up. He'll take 25 years to set you up. There's a testimony uh, that, that I, was, I, was, I was looking at on one of the videos. I, was, uh, I didn't show that last week. But this woman said, things were going good. We've been married 25 years. And then in year 25, it happened. Boom. Debauchery, stepped out, adultery. And because people are not paying attention, people are not studying how to do marriage God's way, don't really understand what marriage is all about, don't understand how to love a person. You, if, you don't know, if, if you don't really have the love of God, you can't truly love a person at the highest sense of love. So there's five Greek words for love, and the, and the highest kind of love is agape love. Many of us understand eros love, romance, that exhilaration, that feeling. Many of us understand epithumia, which is sex. We call it making love, but it's called sex. And see, sex by itself can't make a marriage great. It's good. It's great to have. But you can't stay in bed every day. 24-7. Somebody got to get up and cook. Somebody got to go to work. Somebody got to wash some dishes. If I don't know this stuff, where, where am I going to get it? Is the world going to teach me? Are you going to get it listening to Steve Harvey? <laughs> I like Steve Harvey, but I'm not getting my marriage advice from Steve Harvey. I want it from the Word of God. You may like Dr. Phil, but I'm not getting my marriage advice from Dr. Phil. I want a, a biblically-based definition of how I should treat my wife because I want to go, go to the one who made marriage. I'm going to the one who designed it. You can take your car to a shade tree, shade tree mechanic, and he can pull everything off and tell you you don't need that. But it's best to go to the manufacturer a, a, a shop that has been endorsed by the person who made the vehicle and who's been trained and certified to fix the doggone thing. You went and got it fixed and you go down the highway, this backfire, like Granny on the Beverly Hills. That, that old. I got to finish. We'll never be fulfilled. We become discouraged and cynical. The Samaritan woman was a, was, was a five-time loser when it come to, came to marriage and had given up on marriage and was cohabitating. Satan's goal is to secularize marriage so it becomes useless and even dangerous. Why? So our purpose and our destiny cannot be realized. Go, go with me to Ephesians 5, 31 through 33 right quick. Come on, hurry, hurry. Ephesians 5. Y'all have been so good today. I thank God for you. Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. Another thing that happens is 
while, you, while you're turning there, uh, we said, number one, we will never be fulfilled. We become discouraged and cynical. This is when we, when we try to transfer our needs to other people. We'll never be fulfilled. We'll, we'll become discouraged and cynical. We become bitter towards people and reject them for not meeting our expectations. How many of y'all have gotten bitter toward people, whether it's your child, whether it's your spouse, because they didn't meet your expectations? And you, you're just mad all the time. <laughs> My wife told me the other day, uh, it was something that was going on. She said, why are you looking like that? I, can't, I had a scowl on my face. And, and right, she told me, why are you looking? And I do that. Too. I said, why, 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 are you, why are you doing that? How many of y'all walk around with scowls on your face? Listen, if the joy of the Lord is your strength, let that joy permeate throughout you. Because when people see the joy of the Lord on the inside of you, when you're happy in Jesus, people enjoy being around you. When you are fuddy-duddy and you're unfulfilled and you, you become this person who's, who's always angry. Amen. Baby, let me tell you something. I'm going to enjoy life. Amen. Are you listening to me? You're looking at one fellow who's going to enjoy life because I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I will not let any other person steal my joy. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it, and the world, you can't take my joy. Well, I'll act a fool and make it miserable. No, you act a fool. I'm going to watch you act a fool. He acting a fool. I still got joy. Sometimes your children, if you let them, will take your joy. They grown and acting the fool. Just pray for them. Turn them up to the Lord. Quit worrying. Stand up all night. Worried about them. Because they're going to do what they're going to do. And you stand up all night worried about them. It's not going to change what they're doing. Just pray that God pricks their heart and they turn to him and become who God wants them to be. So, all right, watch, watch this. It says this. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and his mother and has joined his wife and the two are united into one. Next verse says this. This is a great mystery. It's a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So verse 33 says this. Watch this. So again, I say, each man must what? Love his wife as he loves himself. Guys, we've been called upon to love our wives like Christ loved the church. That's unconditional love. And wives... You're called upon to respect and reverence your husband. I told you on last week, too many of y'all are not reverencing your husband and respecting him. You're dogging him out. Pray for him. Love on him. Reverence him. Okay? So, so, so we, we become bitter towards people and reject them for not meeting our expectations. This is especially true of spouses and close relationships. Result, let me give you the results of trusting something or someone other than God to meet our deepest need. Number one, your inner security is dependent on something or someone you cannot predict or control and whose resources to meet your needs are limited, right? So why, why would I depend on somebody uh, uh, or someone that, that, that are unpredictable that I can't control to meet my innermost needs? Your ability to give is dependent upon your ability to get from others. That's what happens. If I don't give for them, I can't give. When you allow them, when you trust in people to meet your deepest need. See, when I, when I trust Jesus to meet my deepest need, even if you don't love me and you act unlovable, I can still love you. People will go around saying, 
I love you. Ain't nothing you can do about it. That is a true statement. As a born again believer who's in touch with God, I love you and ain't nothing you can do about that. You can hate me, but I still, I may not like you, but I'm going to love you. Because God told me to love, what, what are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord thy God with all the heart, mind, and soul, and do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. He says all of the law hangs on that command. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it don't matter what you do, you can talk about me as much as you please. But the more you talk, I'm going to do what? That's what the song says, and that's what I'm doing. I'm going to love you through all of your mess. Because I, I, see, I see where God is taking you to. I don't give up on people. Some of y'all, some of y'all, uh, if people look at you 15, 20 years ago, they would have gave up on you. But look at you now. God is using you. God is, is watching you. God is, God is using you to minister to other people, and he's brought you through. So had we given up on you, hey man, you wouldn't be here today. Watch it. So, so your life is filled with an atmosphere of disappointment and frustration. This is when you, depending on other people, to meet your deepest need. Your unrealistic expectations of others create an atmosphere of tension in your relationships, which drives people away from you. Hear me carefully. Some of us are driving people away from us because we're depending on people to meet our deepest need. And as a result, we become uh, uh, tension filled. We become just just hard, hard up and we're not lovable people. Listen, God wants us to show his love, all right? And lastly, I, I got to stop here. Um, anyone who becomes overly dependent upon us becomes unattractive to us. And strength and confidence are attractive attributes. But we got to make sure that we don't over, over-dependence on a person is dysfunctionality. And I got to stop, but we'll pick up next week. Guys, let me tell you something. This, 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 this story here, this analogy here of Jesus and Samaritan woman, Samaritan woman at the well has kingdom consequences. This woman at the well is symbolic of what the church looks like. How many of y'all had some stuff going on before you got saved? How many of you were, 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 were a wretch undone? And Jesus reached down to the bowels of hell and picked you up, saved you, delivered you, set you on a feet on a solid rock to stay. And now you are resting in his bosom and you have salvation and you thank God for that. Your past does not have to determine your future unless you let it. This woman got free and went about witnessing. And got people saved despite her past. God's plan for marriage. Let's embrace it. Let's walk in it. Let's exemplify God's love to mankind. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you.